Hi, everybody. Welcome to my podcast. This is David Leibovitz, and you can find me at davidleibovitz.substack.com, which is my newsletter. And I'll have today's guest's information, the recipes there in my newsletter, and you can subscribe to it. It's at davidleibovitz.substack.com and get that right to your inbox. And there's free and there's paid subscribers, and I like them both equally, but paid subscribers get a little extra. So if you want to be a paid subscriber, you're welcome to, but who doesn't love something that's free, right, Forrest? Absolutely. (laughs) I want to welcome a guest today, Forrest Collins. And I'm not sure when I met you, but I kind of consider you one of my legacy friends here in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Because people come and go Mm -hmm. and you and I have remained constant. Yes. And I'm very happy about that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know when we met, but it Mm. feels like it's been a pleasantly long time, not a long time, but yeah. Well, you're mostly known for cocktails Mm -hmm. and you have a blog. You started your blog when? Oh, 2007. Okay. Well, I was going to say 12, but that was like the heyday of blogging for me. Mm -hmm. That's when, you know, I think cocktails exploded, but 2007. So your blog is called 52 Martinis, and that's the number 52 and then the word martinis. Exactly. And it's interesting because people don't often associate France with cocktails. No. And can you tell me why that is? Why do you think that is? Well, I think there wasn't really, I mean, this is part of the reason for the creation of my blog was to try to find these cocktails. And I think that um, there's a, a few different things. I think that there's this sort of national pride in their products. They have so many great products. Why in would France. I go, yeah, in France. Why would you go mixing them with other things? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that also they tend to be on the strong side. You know, I think drinking cultures are different in Anglophone cultures and, and in France. Mm-hmm. And I think that cocktails are, are quite strong. These are an aperitif. This isn't wine. They're also, for good cocktails, historically, they've been more expensive. So when you, you can go and get a really great quality glass of wine in France yeah. for five euros, but you're going to be paying 10, 11, 12, okay. 15, 20 for cocktails. Price okay. point is different. <laughs> so I think well, there's a few different reasons. I was expecting you to say the elephant in the room, which is oftentimes the cocktails were not good. Oh, God, um, yeah. But I just assume they're not good because yeah. nobody's drinking them for all these reasons. So yes, as a result. Yeah. There were no good cocktails, you know, 20 years ago, almost impossible to find decent cocktails in France, mm-hmm. especially yeah. these classics, you know. Well, I remember visitors would come and they're like, oh, I think, you know, we're in a restaurant and I was like, they would ask you, the waiters always like, vous désirez un aperitif? And they were like, oh, I'm going to get a Manhattan. I'm like, <laughs> oh, you're not. Because you get like a, a glass <laughs> no. of ice with whatever exactly. in it and, it's, you know, some cherries or something. Like even Romain, my partner, when I started making cocktails at home, he's like, these are really good. He goes, I always associated cocktails with bad. Yeah. Well, I, and also I think it's, you know, such a, it's kind of a young person's game here as well. I think mm-hmm. so many of the cocktail bars, they're trendy, they attract young people who want something that covers the taste of alcohol. The, the purpose of drinking cocktails is, is sometimes different, you know, okay. and they are bad because they're just trying to cover up things. Well, a lot of cocktails were actually invented, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because they were meant to disguise the taste of bad alcohol during prohibition. Yeah, is that yeah. true? Well, I mean, I've heard the same thing as well. And I, I think so. We weren't these, there. Yeah, we weren't there. <laughs> Close, but not there yeah. for me. But yeah, I, I have heard that definitely because, you know, they're very poor quality gin or whatever spirits they could get their hands on. So you had a lot of yeah. these things like, you know, kind of sour styles with lots of sweet and sour. Well, you have poor quality bath jib gin and exactly. you add lovely French vermouth to it and you can have a martini. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we were talking about cocktails and the cocktail scene and about maybe it was 10 years ago, 
the whole thing changed. What happened in Paris? All of a sudden, Paris became a cocktail paradise. And it's amazing the different, like, usually in France, things don't change quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how did it change and why? Yeah, I think that you really nailed it when you said 10 years ago. Uh, and when I started to say 2012, because that was, that was the turning point, I believe, in Paris for cocktails. That's why we moved beyond having just one or two bars that brought the trend over from the U.S., like mm -hmm. the experimental. Then they kind of spawned their, their staff moved on to open bars like Candelaria. But in 2012, you really started to see more bars opening up. And I think it's just that natural progression of moving from, from a niche interest to mainstream that followed globally. I mean, you see the same thing happen in France with things like craft beer and, you know, there are things that aren't generated here that this, this is not the, the ground they're, zero. They're trying to copy it yeah, somewhere else. Exactly. So right. it takes that, there's a little bit of lag time and it, it's the same in, in so many cities around the world. I mean, you have these, cocktail cosmopolitans like New York and London and, you know, these big cities. Mm -hmm. And then it just slowly spread. So I think it just took that, that amount of time. I'd say 2002 is when the cocktail revolution started in New York and London. Mm -hmm. Took 10 years to really hit its stride in France. But weren't a lot of classic cocktails invented here during Prohibition? Which yeah, well, I mean, a lot of cocktails were... People came to Paris to drink. People came to Paris to drink. Now they They're, come for the chocolate. Yeah, there is an absolute <laughs> cocktail um, culture here in the twenties and people were drinking Brooklyn's and, and martinis, lots of martinis and, um, Jack Rose, one of the things we'll talk about today. And, uh, so yes, there was definitely, but I think that really was this influx of Americans coming in and the cafes and the bars catering to the demands. And I still think that it was a predominantly expat crowd that was drinking the cocktails back in the day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they were also something that was introduced to France through the world's fairs at the end of, at the end of the 1800s and the beginning of the 1900s. So, so these are all things that were coming from these foreign places and really sought after by foreigners on the ground here. Well, did you read William Grimes, who was a columnist for the New York Times, wrote a book uh, a number of years ago, and it's all about cocktails. And it's a wonderful book. He really nailed a lot of things. I learned a lot reading it. But one of the things he mentioned, he said, Americans are really good at having fun. And that's one of the reasons or one of the main reasons why we invented cocktails. My friend Brad Parsons, who writes about Amaro, one of the Amaro makers said, we love Americans. He goes, we give you Amaro and then you give us recipes for using it. Yeah, yeah, it's um, true. And so all these amazing liquors are made in France. You know, France has this, this culture of savoir-faire, which is say, or know-how. And you can't just do that right away. You know, you, things like Calvados, the liquors we're going to talk about, they've been making them for a long time. Yeah. I mean, that, this is what I think, what I find so special about being in France now, about being an American in France, about being a cocktail expert in France, is that the spirits and the liqueurs and the vermouths, not all the vermouths, mm -hmm. but especially the dry vermouths, a lot of the cornerstones of cocktail culture come from France. But yeah, yeah. it was elsewhere that these things, you know, and perhaps it's because yeah, I think there's this... On one side, outside of France, especially Americans kind of revere France and ha ha, they mm -hmm. put it on a pedestal. However, we're not putting it on a pedestal when it comes to how can we mix these together and have, right. and have fun. Yeah. So, so yeah, and we want to mix quality things together mm -hmm. and they do have this savoir faire. I really appreciate this long history of, you know, we'll talk about a little bit about mm -hmm. cognac and about Calvados today. And, you know, those are things that have been created for. Yeah. Well, it's kind of reminding me, like when I wrote my book, Drinking French, people are like, why are you writing about drinks? And I was like, well, because actually bartenders do what bakers do. It's exactly the same thing. Mix 
different ingredients to create something else. But pastry, for example, as you know, has always been about technique, and they always taught rigid technique in French pastry school. I went to school here, and it wasn't about being creative. It was like, here are the classic recipes, and here are how to make them. And it wasn't until like Gaston Lenotre came along, but later more so, even more so, Pierre Hermé, who's like, let's put lychee and rose together. Let's make macaroons. They don't have to all be chocolate and coffee. They can be, you know, apricot with gold leaf or something. And I think the same thing happened with cocktails now, where you're seeing people being inventive. There's a couple of cocktail bars in Paris that only have French spirits. Yeah. Which is great, I think. Yeah, I love it. And yeah. I'm not a zine, I'm not chauvinist, but I think it's great to celebrate French things. I think it's France. great to celebrate French yeah. things. I also think it's great to um, go I love local. other cultures. Okay. So <laughs> I just, I feel like I love celebrating local products. And I'm so lucky because I live in France and I, yeah. when I go local, I get to go French. You know, I mean, I would, I would, I would celebrate that no matter where I was, mm -hmm. but we're really fortunate. Well, that's very French too, is to celebrate local, but without talking about it. Yeah. It's um, just kind of a part of your. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand in France. Like if people who live in the Jura, they only eat mostly. Well, I don't want to say, I don't want to speak in absolutes because someone will point out they were there and they saw somebody eating goat cheese once. But, <laughs> of course. <laughs> the internet. But people usually know the cheese from their region and the wine. Absolutely. And the spirits, when, the when you're in Normandy, and so you're going to drink Calvados. You're going to have a Cure Normand. You're going to, when mm -hmm. you're, you know, in the South, you're going to have pastis and you're, the, you know, the. What the, feels right. Yeah. The, yeah. the drinking cultures really spring up around what's mm -hmm. local. And I appreciate that. I think that's really great. And Paris is a melting pot. So yeah. a lot of people aren't from Paris and they come here. It's kind of like New York where everybody comes from a different place, different regions of France and they all meld here, which is very interesting about Paris. A lot of people don't think about that, but shops like Androuet, the cheese shop that started in the 30s, you know, it was maybe the 30s, I'm not sure of the year, but it was unusual for people to get cheese from all over the country, and now it's kind of normal. So we have a lineup of liquors here, and you, you're you going to make three cocktails. I am. I'm going to make three cocktails. And we're going to talk about the spirits as you go, and I'm going to tell people what the cocktails are, and then we'll go through them. Great. And the recipes are going to be on my if you miss them, the recipes will be in my newsletter at davidlebovitz.substack.com. And Forrest, maybe if you want to put them on yours, 52 martinis, yep. you can as well. I will. <laughs> Since they're your recipes, your versions of the classics. And the three classics we're going to make today, or you're going to make, are the sidecar, the Jack Rose, and the 50-50 martini. Yes. And you've saved the most controversial for last. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I love controversy. I know. So, okay. Me too. Controversy There's so and cocktail. Much controversy in the cocktail world. I kind of think you should do what makes you happy, but you know, people love to get in a good fight. Vodka, yes, vodka, no. There's all kinds of controversy. So, all right. Okay. So the first one is called the sidecar. Yes. And this was invented where? That's a, that's yeah, another controversy. It is. I mean, really, when we talk about the origins for cocktails, there's so many murky origins. Lots of people say it was uh, invented at Harry's. I don't really buy that. Harry's so, Bar, which yeah. is a bar. It's a sort of an Anglophone bar in Paris. Exactly. So, um, I've I, heard the Ritz. Uh, oh, and exactly okay. the Ritz as well. So I have not come across, I haven't done a deep dive on the history of the sidecar, but I have not come across for me what I feel is a definitive okay. um, answer on that. But, uh, but it's been around for a long time and it's classic. So, um, okay. So, so this cocktail has cognac, lemon juice and orange liqueur. Yes. And most people are familiar when you say orange liqueur, 
they think of Grand Marnier or Cointreau. Exactly. But we have a not a newcomer on the scene, but an old newcomer yeah. or a new oldcomer. A new oldcomer. I guess you could put it either way, but yes. Um, and it's my favorite orange liqueur. I love this one. So yeah, everybody loves you, yes. this one. So this is a dry curacao from Pierre Ferron. And they make cognac, which is where the cognac we're using is from as well. Yeah. And the distiller was dared by David Wondrich, who's a noted cocktail. And I know you know this. I'm telling yeah, people. Yeah, I know. Tell me. But I'd love to hear you talk, talk about stuff. I was stuff, waiting so. for you to tell this story. Oh. Um, but he, he dared them. He said, you, you need to recreate triple sec or dry curacao as it was made in the old days. And it was made traditionally from these lahara oranges, which were green on the outside, red on the inside, triple distilled, which is how it gets the name triple sec. And this is so delicious. I and love it. And it's not expensive. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of both of these products. And this is exactly what I use for my sidecar. Okay. So uh, is Pierre the Pierre Ferrat, the 1840. I like mixing with this cognac a lot. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, he's got a real good sensibility creating this cognac. It was created, um, mm-hmm. with this in mind with, with mixing. So I love it. It's, oh. it's, you know, it's affordable. You don't feel bad dumping it in with a bunch of other stuff and it's really good quality. Okay. So we're at my kitchen table and I probably have to jump up and get ice in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But I'll let you go ahead and mix. Okay. And tell, so I'm going to start. Tell me when you want ice. Um, bring ice anytime you want. I'm going to start measuring some stuff out. And actually, here, I will let you go grab some nope. ice and nope. I'll, I'll, um, start pouring it over the ice. So that way we're not okay. dumping ice on top of our, of our liquids. So I am doing a sidecar. One of the things I love about a sidecar is I really like a sidecar because I think it transitions both well from the, Summer to the fall and winter. I think it's a really nice warming cocktail this time of year. I have a little bit of a different spin that I do on it in the summer than I do versus the winter. Some of you might be used to the sidecar with a little bit of a sugar on the rim. I save that for the summer. In the winter, I put a little extra sugar syrup in the cocktail. So I am going to go with two ounces of cognac. That's about 60 mils. I don't know if, if most of the listeners okay. <laughs> are, are, are mil, milliliters or, or ounces. And I've got some so. lemon juice for you over yeah, here. Yeah, great. I freshly squeezed it. One of my editors said, you always have to say freshly squeezed in a recipe. You do. You do. And I said, well, don't people know that? And no. Said, no. No. Well, I didn't know that because someone made me a lemon cake once and it was with that bottled lemon juice on it. And I said, okay, I'm going to always say freshly squeezed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that um, you have to. So now I'm doing the dry curacao, and I'm doing about three quarters of an ounce. So that's about 22 milliliters for those okay. in the in the mLs. And I'm moving on to my lemon juice, which I've carefully squeezed, freshly squeezed for you. Excellent. <laughs> now um, this kind of depends on people's preferences. I'm going to do the same amount of the lemon juice that I do on the curacao, which is a three quarters. Okay. So it's two ounces of cognac yep. and three quarters of an ounce each yep. of freshly squeezed lemon juice and orange liqueur. And in this case, you're using a dry curacao, which is not blue. It's not a blue. Exactly. Yeah. It's not a blue. No. Now, some people like that a little bit tarter. So I'm pouring in my lemon juice. Some people like that to be a little bit more tart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you feel free to play around with the, with the um, proportions. I like a sour, so I like to get both of the sweet and the and the tart in there, which is why I use equal proportions on the lemon juice and the curacao. I also find this particular curacao not such a sweet explosion as I do with some mm-hmm. of the other orange liqueurs. So already the sweetness is toned down. 
Um, as you saw me doing, I also strain my lemon juice before I add it in. I don't do that. Oh, most people okay. don't do it. This okay. isn't, this isn't a typical thing. Am group. I a bad person? No, you're not a bad person. <laughs> I'm just sharing that because I think okay. it's, it's a nice tip for people to know because it just makes it a tiny bit less pulpy on the cocktail. Okay. And also I think that it makes it a little bit more balanced because you're getting just juice instead of like you're getting 22 mils, but part of it is kind of these little pulp mm-hmm. bits that you eat. Now, I've not done a scientific experiment to say that that tastes better or more balanced, but it could just be in my head. And then I put a tiny, tiny drop of rich, simple syrup in it instead of, instead of. And that's uh, like a, you just put like a quarter teaspoon in. Yeah. Which is, yeah, I mean, rich, I, simple syrup is two parts sugar, one part water. Exactly. Heated until. I don't heat mine. Um, I just cold shake mine now. Um, and then you did, you're doing this in a mixing glass. I know. I actually probably would have been happy doing it in a shaker as well. But I just got lazy and I just pulled out the, don't pull okay. out the missing glass. So well, generally I learned this early on, like drink the fruit, get shaken, drinks without fruit. Don't, don't get shaken. I put the micro, I have the microphone <laughs> next to the mixing glass. Sorry. Um, yes, but normally with you fruit, can break rules, but I don't mind. Um, I mean, you know, as you know, I, I, I've been known to shake a martini if I want it a little more diluted and a little colder. Mm-hmm. And I've been known to stir a side part if I want it to look a little prettier and just yeah. not have that. Once you shake it, it gets so many air bubbles in it. That it yeah. um, doesn't look quite as clear. So well, when we talk about Mar- when we do the martini in a bit, we're going to yeah. talk about that because I like shaken martinis and I always thought I was weird. And oh, then wow. I realized that Bix in San Francisco, which has the most amazing martinis anywhere, shakes theirs. And that's where I grew up drinking martinis. So yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think also with, with cocktails, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of this. This is what you're used to. This is what you right. like the, these kind of sensory memories. So, you know, I really love, I really love mixing with Pierre Ferrand, but I'm, I'm very used to that. So, you know, it could just be like, this is, this, this to me signifies good cocktails. Okay. So we're um, moving ice. We've, we've got a chilled cocktail glass, a coupe glass. We do. And, and the glass makes a difference. And, um, well, I'm going to use this. I'm just going to strain this into this glass. Okay. Actually, don't strain it with those lemon bits in there. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Um, now I get the strainer. Yes. I'm a baker. Everything's prepared. Perfect. So now we're pouring our, our fall winter sidecar into mm-hmm. this glass. So like I said, I, I, I saved the, um, the sugared rim for summer. Somehow that feels more festive and lighter and brighter. Okay. And, and I put a tiny touch of extra sugar inside for winter. It's beautiful. Well, it's, it's very simple. So okay. there you go. Hopefully it's good as well. But yeah, I think that again, you know, I encourage people to mm. play with the proportions. Mm. Um, mm. yeah, it's, 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 it's simple and it's, it's a classic. I think this one, yeah. you never go wrong with this. And as we're talking about French spirits, this is a great drink that highlights mm-hmm. French spirits because it calls for cognac and it calls for orange liqueur. And most of these orange liqueurs, so many of them we're going to be looking to, even right. if you're not using the Pierre Ferrand dry curacao, you're probably right. going to be using Cointreau or you're going to be using Grand Marnier. Okay. Um, well, so, I was at a barbecue in America, in the, U- in the America. I've had one sip of cocktail and I can't. <laughs> I was at a barbecue uh, place in the United States and they had a happy hour and we don't really have cocktail happy hour in France. They have happy hour where like beer's cheaper. Yeah. But they don't have cheap cocktail. No. In America, I'm like, yes, you know, God bless America for happy hour. So I was like, they had a sidecar and it was like, whatever, six dollars. So I ordered one and the woman behind the bar made me one. And she handed it to me, and it was in a 16-ounce latte glass, like those pint glasses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this is the best deal yeah. ever. But it was, I couldn't finish it. But it was good with barbecue, so. 
Yeah. I think there's some cocktails that go really great with barbecue. I like a little Manhattan in a barbecue. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. So. Okay. So that's the sidecar. Yeah. And well, we're friends with Jeffrey Morgenthaler. It's hard mm-hmm. to talk about cocktails without bringing his name up. Absolutely. But he's like, get rid of the sugar rim. He's like, out of the, the little bit of the sugar syrup in the drink mm-hmm. really makes a difference. Yeah. It, and, it, it gives it a yeah. nicer mouthfeel, I think, especially for colder months and rounds it out a little bit more for me personally. Yeah. Again, like I said, people have to, you know, make your own judgments. You know, we're dealing with, with, you know, this isn't just straight out of the box right. product. So you can, you no. can adjust it to your taste. And some people use Cointreau for it. They, they insist on that they, because it's clear yeah. and it makes a different color drink. It makes a more yellow drink. Whereas this Curacao is natural. Cointreau is pretty natural, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's distilled pretty heavily. There's no color to it. Yeah. So this has a different color, but I like it a lot. I love it. I, I just, I really, yeah, uh, this, that is my preferred to mix with for sure. Uh, and I think that, you know, I just think this house does a great job of, of okay. developing products that stand alone really well, but also developing products that work in cocktails. Okay, now when well. you say this house, we're in my I mean, apartment. I thought you meant my apartment. <laughs> your house too, David. Everything's great here. No, um, that, but Pierre Ferron with their, with Boy. their cognac and their curacao. And also we'll talk about their gin shortly. So, um, so yeah, so. That's your cognac cocktail. And I just think it's, it's also a really interesting spirit to talk about when we talk about mm-hmm. French spirits because cognac. it's, it's cognac. Yeah. It's, it's got such a long history. And also what I really love about playing around with cognac is I'm a big fan of brandies. So anything mm-hmm. that's distilled from fruit. Uh, I mean, I love whiskey too. And we can talk about the French. But there's French no whiskeys. brandy in France per se. Right. It's, they don't I mean, talk about brandy. They don't talk about yeah. brandy. I mean, because it's just all of these eau de vies that. Mm-hmm. That are, you know, made from fruit. So no, they don't talk about brandy. Yeah. They talk about cognac or they talk about calvados. But I love the idea of the flavor coming from the mm-hmm. fruits. I don't get it so much in cognac with the grapes, but in calvados, we'll move on to that. Yeah. Definitely you feel the apples in there. So, um, so yeah, well, I think we, it's a great way to celebrate terroir again. Yeah. And cognac is made in the cognac region, yeah. which is the Poitou Charles. Yeah. Would exactly. you say? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> My geography is not yeah. so good. I think I got like a C plus in geography yeah, in college, or in yeah. high school. But it's in a certain region, so cognac has to be made in that region. And it's made from these grapes that are not good for making wine, these uni right. blanc. Uni blanc, yeah, primarily uni blanc. Uh, also folle blanche, colombard, and there's a couple other that could mm. be in the mix. But those three, it's primarily uni blanc because that is the, yeah, yeah. it is the most prevalent grape in the area. And they did, um, just a little gossip here. Mm. Cognac, you know, they had trouble. People stopped drinking cognac. Yeah. It was kind of considered sort of old-fashioned. You know, a lot of people in Asia were drinking it. And then the cocktail people started picking it up because it's a liquor that comes through yeah. when you mix it. And like Alexander Gabriel, who's the distiller at Pierre Ferrand, he's like, yes, mix it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, think about all the cocktails, too. I mean, the, uh, the cocktail crowd is definitely going to always reach for cognac because you've got these beautiful mm-hmm. things like the sidecar, like the Vieux Carré. Yeah, it's a great um, mixer. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, a Sazerac. Many people use cognac. I prefer rye. That's another mm-hmm. controversial thing because people say it was originally with cognac. And I had a rum Sazerac. I think delicious. that could be good too. Yeah. I mean, I think any of those brown spirits can work well. A lot of people do a half of a mix of half cognac, half rye, but there's mm-hmm. some great classics that, that work really well with cognac. And, um, yeah. So I think that there was, there was never a question of cocktails well, moving back to that direction. You know, it's when you write a cookbook, people always ask you certain questions and a lot of them are, can I freeze that? How far can that be made in advance? Or can I substitute something? So when I wrote drinking French backing up, when I wrote my ice cream book, I was like, no one's going to ask me how 
you know, how long it keeps because you put ice cream in the freezer. Yeah. And everyone's like, well, how long does it keep in the freezer? <laughs> and I was like, well, I never sticks around that long. Yeah. But people were asking me how long spirits keep and aperitifs and so forth. And I asked Alexander Gabriel, who's mm-hmm. the master distiller at Pierre Fremont, he looked at me and he laughed. He goes, if it still tastes good, it's still good. Uh, just tell I, people that. So. I was just listening to, to a, a different podcast on wine, but basically the woman mm. said the same thing. It still tastes good to you. Drink it now. I don't know about that. I don't let my wife sit around, but I do none of these, mm. uh, any, any of these spirits. I mean, look at the back bar and many of the bars that you go to. They're not turning those around, you know, every month or so. It, so, um, I do think with the spirits, we're moving into different territory when we're like looking at things that are lower alcohol, like vermouths mm-hmm, right. and even Saint Germain won't last forever on your shelf, those kind of things. But yeah, these spirit cognac, I've got bottles that have been for a very long time oh, yeah. on my shelf and they're still good. So yeah. I have things that are 50 years plus old that yeah. I've scavenged in flea markets in yeah. Paris, which are kind of fun to find. So the next cocktail, I'm going to confess my ignorance. I've never heard of it. Ah, Jack Rose. It's yeah. been around since the turn of the century. It was a favorite cocktail of Steinbeck from what I've read. I okay. also wasn't around back then, okay. so I didn't check <laughs> with him. Uh, I think it's even made an appearance in, I think it's in the Sun Also Rises. I think they're ordering some of those. Okay. So it's a really classic cocktail that comes up when you're talking about Calvados. Mm-hmm. And I love these cocktails because they're all up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm I really like into cocktail, up cocktail too. Now, I, I do like a highball as well, but that's a whole different thing. Oh, and I was going to say that just reminded me in Cognac, I don't know how much time you spent. I know that you've probably been down to visit these guys mm-hmm. at Pierre Ferrand, but, um, many times when I've been visiting, what has been very common for them to serve me is cognac and ginger ale, just a high bowl oh, of yeah. cognac and ginger oh, yeah. ale, which yeah. I love. So yeah. that's just another, this is up, but if you really want to also experience mm-hmm. cognac, throw in some ginger ale. That is what real French people in cognac yeah. do, not just, you know, a witty, make it easier. Anyway, so. Well, people, a friend of mine's from Burgundy and her, from a winemaking family, and she said her mother always poured water in her wine. Oh, yeah. Well, again, you know, if it tastes good to her and she's happy, yeah. I am not going to, I'm not going to yeah. stop anybody from doing anything. I think. For me, it's really important to know the basics and it's really mm-hmm. important to know the classic structure of cocktails and, mm-hmm. and how you need sort of the three legs of the stool with, with strong and sweet and sour. Um, oh, I like that. Three legs of, I'm going to put yeah. that in my next book. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, yeah. it's, it's good. I mean, because I do think that that's what holds up a cocktail. So it's good to know the basics behind it. But listen, like when you're at home, do whatever makes you happy. Put water in your wine, put sparkling water in your wine. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't care what you want to do. Um, you know, if you enjoy it. Yeah. In so, Corsica, they were all putting ice in their red wine and they're like, it's too hot. Yeah. And people say, French people would never do that to wine. And there was this funny thing about defiling wine. People go, you should never like put ice in wine. And then I'm like, well, what about like mold wine with cinnamon? And they're like, well, that's okay. Yeah. I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Or I don't know, sangria. Yeah. I don't know. I, again, I love sangria. People love to, I do too. I also like kind of a white bubbly sangria with mm-hmm. just uh, sparkling wine. Uh, but we'll people, do another podcast oh, in the summer. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would be good. Some summer cocktails. I'd love that. And, and these aren't exclusively winter cocktails. Mm-hmm. They're just some of my go-to and ways to serve them that I like in the winter. Well, citrus is winter. Yeah. Citrus okay. is winter. And so, um, yeah. So the okay. Jack Rose, speaking of winter, it's yes. apple season right now. In exactly. Paris, which is why I love this time France, of year for four weeks. Not because it's fresher, but just because, it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's apple season. It just feels right. So this is a called the Jack Rose, and it has Calvados, which is apple brandy lemon juice, and grenadine syrup. Yes. And I'm going to, is this a shaken cocktail or is this a stirred? Um, I'm going to shake this cocktail okay. um, so I can put this in here. And oh, and good. I've got some fresh. I'll get you Perfect. some fresh ice. Perfect. Okay. 
I'm going to get my ingredients here. So yeah, this is a Jack Rose. This was also very popular in the beginning of the 1900s. Again, like so many of these cocktails that were popular back in the day, it was really rediscovered again. Uh, many people use apple brandy in the States for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like to give it this French twist with the Calvados, especially because I'm in France. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. Basically, it is an apple brandy. There's slight differences between U.S. apple brandy and Calvados. Well, Calvados has to be made in the Calvados region mm-hmm. or in the region. Will you have a house there? I do. I, I'm, yes. yeah, I'm right on the edge of Normandy. Um, I'm in the Perche. So I am relatively okay. close to, to some different distillers that I go to from time to time. So yes, we do. Okay. But also I think that, um, I'm not an expert on apple brandy in the States, but I believe they only use food grade apples like Granny Smith's and, and Calvados. There's like 300 different apples mm-hmm. you can use. And so. pears too. Yeah. Only I, well, maybe they do that in the two AOCs that, um, Calvados and, um, Pédoge. Now I'm just drawing a blank, but the one that has pears is Don Flonte. Okay. So a friend of mine brought me a bottle of Calvados. She goes, it's made from pears. And I said, this well, one? no, oh. it's the one over the little bottle oh, over there. Yeah. Oh. Don Flonte. Exactly. Right. So Don Flonte, okay. that's the one that has, I think it's got 30% pears in it. Okay. Um, but I don't, I don't want to use that one for our Jack Rose because I really like the apple flavors to come through. That's so, really apple. That's great. The Chateau think, de Bray. I think that's, it's lovely. And I like to, I like to see the apple come through. So, and I um, have to say, a lot of people like grabbing the neck of this bottle. Oh, yeah. It's kind um, of like, how would you describe the neck of the bottle? It's like, it's like a, in, in PG 13 terms. It's like the handle of some kind of sporting thing. Oh, okay. Right? I mean, that's G, that's G rated. <laughs> the first time I gave, yeah. I picked up this bottle, I was like, Okay. Yeah. It's somebody was thinking some, certain things. Yeah, exactly. We'll it's, a very, it's a very, it's a very long, evocative. Yeah, it's a very evocative long neck bottle. It's quite, I notice Forrest keeps touching I keep it. holding it. Yeah. So it's let's very, move on. Yes. Okay. <laughs> You're both turning red here. And, uh, um, yes. Yeah, and, okay. So <laughs> make a Jack Rose. Yes. And this has Calvados. Yes. Which is apple brandy, lemon, and grenadine. Exactly. So again, I use very similar proportions that I do to my sidecar. So I'm going to do two ounces, 16 mils of Calvados. And I am going to use. Okay. Grenadine. You make your own grenadine. So grenadine, I'm going to use three quarters of an ounce. So about 22 mils of grenadine. And I do make my own. And I really, I don't think everybody has to make every, every ingredient, but grenadine is one that I encourage people to make because it's just much better. So much of what you buy on the shelves that's sold as grenadine is just kind of colored simple syrup. Yeah. Especially in France, it's, it's yeah. like got strawberry flavoring. Exactly. All these Even, weird things in it. It's a little strange. It is. So I don't understand that. You really just want to buy <laughs> fresh pomegranate juice and mix equal parts pomegranate juice and sugar. Now, many people heat it. I don't heat it. Mm-hmm. Like with my simple syrup, I like to cold shake it because I feel like, well, with the simple syrup, it doesn't really matter. But with the grenadine, I feel like it keeps the flavor brighter. Now, you, if you do it that way, you may want to make smaller amounts because I'm not a food scientist, but it I'm does guessing. Freeze. It, it, and yeah. I, and I do freeze yeah. it actually. This is part of the frozen batch yeah. because you make so much when you buy a bottle of this. I, I don't squeeze pomegranates myself, but I just buy the juice. Mm-hmm. And so the, it comes in a huge bottle. So then you yeah. suddenly have a lot of grenadine. Now, one thing I do is I often dial down the sugar a teeny tiny bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, about half and half with the airing on a little less than half for the sugar. Cold shake it together. You can freeze it. You can also throw in a little vodka if you want to extend the shelf life. I like to drop in a couple drops of um, 
orange blossom water, orange flower water. Orange flower. Thank you. Same thing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. Um, So I like to throw in a couple drops of that. So now here we're going to do three quarters of an ounce. Three quarters of an ounce of grenadine syrup. Yes. So I'm pouring my three quarters of an ounce in there. And um, like I said, mine is, I don't mind going, some people like to dial down on the proportions for the sweet part and the Mm -hmm. sour part. I don't mind going equal because I like a sweet, sour um, twist. And also, again, because I'm straining out the pulp, so I think I get more okay. lemon juice in there. Super. Um, so I've got my lemon juice that I'm also going to do about three quarters of an ounce or 22 mils. So I'm going to, I'm pouring that through a little strainer before I pour it into my, um, and she wanted David's. This is a really pretty cocktail because it's a nice, beautiful red color. Yeah. It's cold, very icy cold. So there's that. Okay. And I know some people throw in a few pesho bitters. I don't because I just like it pretty straightforward. I just feel like, I, I feel like this is a really nice way to highlight the apple coming from the, um, the Calvados. So super. I am just going to shake it up a little bit. All right. Good thing that this is not, um, all right. Let's shake in. Now, I learned the Margot shake from Pombat. I went yeah. to the bar because she has the most amazing cocktail yes. shake of anybody. Yeah, my shake is not amazing. I'm very, very... Um... Well, I hit the ceiling when I was there because I was the tallest <laughs> one. A, there's a dent in the ceiling at Combat Bar in Paris if you go there. Oh, I'll take a there look at that. Sh- okay, and now I am just straining this into the glass. Hmm. Didn't want to. Oh, was there? Fr- uh, I don't know if there was a fresh trainer, but I just used the top. Yeah, there we go. Make sure I get every last bit. Ah. Okay. okay. I have a working kitchen here, and everything's either stainless steel, marble. Excellent, because I'm already making dribbles. Yeah. <laughs> so I am obviously a home bartender, not a professional that does these all the time in mm. a bar. So there's your Jack Rose. Okay. Um. I'm going to take a little sip as well because I want to see mm. how that Calvados comes through on that. Why didn't I know about this cocktail before? Mm. Yeah. See, I still you really get the Calvados in there. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. Yeah. Uh, I get <laughs> I get so much apple in that. Um, I get so much apple. I think it's nice when you've got a grenadine that's just a little bit less sweet than a typical one. Oh, I'm very happy with mm. that. Yeah, we'll have to have some of those. We'll have, some, have an mm. evening of autumnal Jack Rose. Yeah. But I just think... It's nice and cold, but it's great for. Yeah, it's really that that Calvados is particularly apple. It apple-y, is super apple coming through. B r e u i l. I'm getting it right. Yeah. Um, when I it's funny when I started writing drinking French, I went to a very good spirit shop in Paris. I said I just need a bottle of like not too expensive Calvados. Can you be mixing it? And the guy's like, you can't mix Calvados with anything. It's a, <laughs> it's a shop that's known for its mixers. It's a great shop. It was kind of funny. Mm. Oh, I really like that. So the last cocktail is the most... Co- we saved the best... This is your yes. favorite cocktail. Well, I mean, no, my favorite cocktail is a straight-up one, but I really like this one in the winter, so... Straight I mean, up. martini is my favorite one, but not with these proportions. Okay, but, but I think you, this is you don't serve it show. over ice, you said. No, I don't serve it over okay. ice. Okay. And this one is not going to be over ice either. Okay, I'm going to wash the mixing glass. Perfect. And why don't you tell I'm us start what's going to yeah. be in... So uh, we're going to do a 50-50 martini, also commonly known as a fitty-fitty. And um, if it is something that was 
was uh, kind of made popular when the cocktail renaissance was happening 20 or so years ago. And I like it. And now I really like a standard dry martini that's about one part vermouth and about four or five parts gin. But in the wintertime, I think 50-50 can be a really nice um, way to lighten up because there's lots of reasons I like this in the winter. I usually am having more people around because it's kind of holiday season. So I like a drink that's like a little lower on the alcohol so you can serve more of them. Okay, I was going to say, when I think of low alcohol drinks, I don't normally think of a martini. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that I just went to, I went to rinse the <laughs> the mixing glass out. I come back and <laughs> yeah, that is my version of low alcohol. Um, yeah. Well, there's this whole thing in the martini world, and I'm guilty of this too. So I'm not blaming anybody or criticizing, but there's this whole thing like just wave the vermouth bottle near the yeah. uh, the mixing glass or near the drink. And some say that was because Winston Churchill was mad at France. And he didn't want any French vermouth, or which is dry vermouth, near his martini. That's one thing I've heard. But I was talking to Robert Simonson, who mm-hmm. wrote the martini book, a very yeah. a wonderful book. And he has yeah, all different kinds of... Yeah, he's got some great of, books. He's a great writer. Yeah, and he's like, there actually isn't one martini. It's There are no. many martinis. Exactly. Uh, variations. And, and he said, you know, the original was probably served over ice. You know, it was probably a different drink. But he was talking about the people that don't want vermouth in the drink. And he said, you know what? Just have a cold glass of gin. Like there's nothing wrong with a cold glass of gin. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that. I think that, um, I'm not against people who are, who just want to wave the bottle. I do mm-hmm. like a little vermouth in there. 50, yeah. 50 is, is a larger proportion of vermouth yeah. than I usually use. Um, and you're right. This is not a low, low alcohol, um, cocktail, but it's just a, it's a lighter version of a pretty strong cocktail. And I okay. think that it's easier to serve that when, you know, your holiday parties and what have you. Um, it's also easy to batch ahead of time. If you're mm-hmm. going to saw a holiday party, keep it in the fridge. I also think it's more forgiving on the temperature. So if you're serving uh-huh. to a lot of people, I don't mind if a 50-50 is a little bit warmer. I like my martinis like, cold, cold. Yeah, so. very cold. Exactly. So in the winter, it's kind of nice to have something that I've got, I've got some room to warm up here and not, mm-hmm. not get too concerned you about know, that. It's interesting because a lot of French people aren't used to cocktails. And I make cocktails for friends who come over for dinner and they like them, but I've never made martinis for anybody. And I'm going to try that sometime because a martini is a pretty intense cocktail. Yeah. I think that you really have to make sure that you've got good dilution and, and then good temperature on there. Really make sure the, the, the glasses are chilled. Mm-hmm. I think it's also really important to express that lemon over it, which gives it that real nice, um, that nice citrus mm-hmm. kind of like aroma on the nose when you pick it up. And, and I think that, like a well-made martini, I do think it helps, um, get people over that hurdle because there's so mm-hmm. many poorly made martinis and it just, t- they taste too yeah. strong and they're not, they're not, um, stirred long enough. Well, Marty, you, you mentioned the word dilution and yeah. a lot of people think dilution's a bad word, but that's why you shake and you mix a cocktail exactly. is to dilute it a little. And Robert Simonson, I'm name dropping. <laughs> no, Robert Simonson mentioned there's a place in London, I think, that serves undiluted martinis. Dukes. Dukes. Yeah, and he said they're, it's pretty hard ooh, to drink ooh, them. I was like, nah, master, I'm at a drink there. Oh, yeah. Straight out of the freezer and they pour them. And so they've got that. I don't actually love my gin in the freezer because it gives it a different texture. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, they are intense. Yeah, they okay. are tough. Even for like a seasoned martini drinker Even like me. Even for the me. British. Yeah, yeah. but it's, I love Dukes. I'll, I'll go there. I, I mean, I'll go there anytime for a martini, but to brace myself before I take How many can set. you have? Well, probably one on the Okay, list. okay. Yeah. 
then I'll go to the Connet or something else for a normal, normally diluted martini. So a typical martini has gin and some people like vodka, which is actually a kangaroo. Exactly. Um, that's another discussion for another time. But it has French vermouth in it. And I've got yes. Stolin vermouth here, which is made in Chambéry, which is the home of French vermouth. And it used to be called vermouth de Chambéry. That was a designation exactly, that was official. Yeah. You you had to make the vermouth there. Um, at the time, Chambéry was a dukedom of Italy. And the founder of Dolan Vermouth had gone to Turin, yeah. Torino, to learn how to make vermouth. And then he brought it back. And he was a botanist and started making what's called French vermouth, dry vermouth. And in old cocktail books I see, they say like, you know, a half ounce French vermouth. Yeah. They yeah. don't say dry. Exactly. French vermouth and Italian vermouth. Uh, yeah. As opposed to dry or sweet or mm -hmm. sometimes white vermouth I've seen or red vermouth, which also normally you're going to get the white. They'll be talking about the dry French, red, sweet Italian. Now you can get all of those colors and that range of right. flavor in both France and and in Italy. But that is, yeah. But you brought something else. You sort of threw a curveball. I did. I threw a little curveball. So we can talk about it. We can use it or we can stick with a real traditional martini. No. But I brought the Matei Cap Course Blanc, which I use like a vermouth. It's not a vermouth. It's a mistel. mistel. So it's a combination of juice that's fortified and... um it's from course. Mm -hmm. Course, Corsica. Corsica. <laughs> We're speaking French. We're speaking, yeah, a little French. So this is Cap Corse is from, as Corse said, the island of Corsica, and it's a popular aperitif there. A lot of times it's flavored with things like citron. Exactly, um, which I like to these local. Walnut shells. Yep. Cocoa some of these beans, local. Cocoa yeah. shells, I think. That, yeah. It has a lot. It's, it's a very interesting. It, it's not well known outside of Corsica. No, but it seems to be getting more well-known in the U.S. Now, I've okay. seen, I was recently in Corsica when I was posting up about some of the things I was drinking. I had a few people say, oh, we love that. We love that. We're drinking it, you know, at home all the time over ice with, with lemon it's kind great. of thing. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I personally, so I brought this because I do really like a 50-50. I just think there's so much nice flavor Let's go with in that. this. So we've got um, gin. we got Citadel gin from France. Exactly. That was the first gin. Made in France, wasn't it? Uh, I don't know if it was the first. There was Citadel, which was probably the first one. Um, I know there was one coming out of Dijon, which is still around, but I, it's got some saffron on it, which I don't love. And so okay. when I was familiar with Citadel, there was maybe two others that were, but yeah, they've been going since what, 96. So they probably were the first gen made in France. Okay. And it's a great gen. Again, like I sound like I'm, I work for the, for the house that makes the cognac and this gen, which is the same house, but I just think that they've put a lot of effort into kind of finding um, great botanicals that go in here. There's 19 of the botanicals. There, you know, there's a little violet. The in there, junipers from their garden. The junipers from their garden. They've got these expressions. I'm kind of in love right now with their um their latest one, which is the Jardin d'été, the the oh, right. summer garden. They do a summer garden gin with citrus, and they exactly. do a pickle one with cornichon. Exactly. In it. They just have a lot of <laughs> you know. There's a lot of creativity, but not creativity just for the sake of creativity. Just well placed. <laughs> creativity and I'm a big and fan. And it's available in the United States. This and, is why I love it too, yeah. because it's a good quality. It's a good price. And this is basically one of the gems I always have on my shelves because I can always find it here. I feel good going local mm -hmm. and okay. it just works really well. well so I'm going to add some ice to the mixing glass yes, while, that you, would be great. while okay. you measure out. So I'm, um, and I have to say, as I mentioned before, I love shaken martinis, but I'm going to have a servant. No, nope. okay. nope, because we're going to get hate mail. <laughs> Don't hate us because sometimes we shake our martinis. But you know what comes around goes around, right? Like nobody was drinking sort of drinks like tequila sunrises or 
for cosmopolitans. And you see all these bartenders now who are, um, who are updating the Cosmo and updating this. So, you know, it, people that hate it today and next month's here, they'll be, they'll all be shaking their martinis. Yeah. So, you know, all of these things come and go. So a 50 50 was something that, um, was again, like a little bit lower ABV. So it's, well, but it's half and half. It's a half and half. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, you know, I think. It became really popular back in the early days. Okay, so first of all, I'm putting an ounce and a half, so about 45 milliliters of Citadel gin in here. You can use any gin that you like, but that's what we have here right now. And because we're in France, we're talking about we're French France, here. There's actually exactly. a gin store in Paris, and it sells only gin. It's called like G32.2. Yes, they also sell. They also have a few other things. I think they've got some Calvados or some Mezcal in there, unless they've only okay. switched. But it's only a pretty to amazing out. store. It's a great yeah. store. Yeah, it's the one that's over kind of by the Pompidou, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that this is this is a really nice way to explore different gins because mm-hmm. the thing about gin is there's so many different flavor profiles. Obviously, juniper is going to be predominant, but mm-hmm. depending on where you get your gin, even in France now we've got 200, you know, give or take, different At gins least, in yeah. France. Okay, now I'm pouring in an ounce and a half, 45 mils of the cap course. Okay, so it's basically just half and half. It's basically it's half, half and 50, half. 50-50. It is basically just half and half. And we've got the stirring spoon I've right there. I've got the stirring spoon. And I usually like to, and I didn't, I meant to bring these. I usually like to drop in a couple orange bitters. Do you have any orange bitters? I do, but you know what? We have, we still haven't unpacked yet. Oh, the, so, the, but the, orange the, bitters are actually quite traditional yes, in a martini. Yes, exactly. Orange bitters okay. are traditional in a martini. And I meant to bring some because not everybody... Not everybody yep. puts them in there. Uh, so, and I'm stirring, and I'll probably stir. You don't have to stir this as much as you have to stir a regular martini because, as I was saying before, it's a little bit more forgiving on the temperature. And and also, you don't need as much dilution mm-hmm. to bring down that heat that you're going to get in a typical Dilution's martini. a hard word to dilution. say after you've yeah, had it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dilution. Um, dilution. So, um, dilution. I've only had one sip of a cocktail. I've had um. two. It is funny because when I was writing my book, you know, when I, when I write baking books, I start cooking at, you know, eight in the morning, start yeah. at seven and I start testing and tasting. And when I was writing the cocktail chapter for my book, I was like, Oh, um, how many cocktails can I taste? Like, in what time can I start? So I'd have to sort of twiddle my thumbs <laughs> until it was like 1 PM. Well, I know a lot of, um, okay. Now I'm pouring my half and half into the chilled martini glass. And again, if you're used to a regular martini, you're gonna, um, you're gonna find there's not quite as hot as you're used to. But, you know, think about this more in terms of something that you can drink a little warmer, that you can maybe introduce, um, this is non-martini drinkers to. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh. And I like to, especially in the winter, I like to drop in, um, my garnish, which you can take out once you start drinking so it doesn't hit you in the face. But okay. I put in a couple little, um, preserved lemon rinds because okay. I think in the winter that gives it a nice citrus, but also salty, briny side. Mm. And I love to eat the oh. little rinds because I'm kind of a salt freak. It's so very lemony in a way. It's super lemony. And I just think that that, um, mm. it also adds a little salt because my preserved lemon is mm. pretty salty. So it adds a little lemon, a little And the salt cap course to... is really good. It's yeah, not as dry. Is, and... I know it's got so much flavor to it. I feel like it's kind of a celebration wow. of flavors That's from the most surprising thing I've tasted in t- 2022. Yeah. See now okay. it, it almost, <laughs> you almost feel like it's got like, it's kind of like, Oh, is that sweet? But I mean, the cap course right. isn't sweet. Like there's kind of, but, but it's not really it's very, sweet. You know, people have this thing like, I don't like sweet. Like, well, sweet actually goes really well. You know, if you have dark chocolate with, you know, salt, yeah. it goes, they go I really well throw together. I some really dark chocolate in my chili when I'm cooking it because mm-hmm. it just kind of makes it, 
I don't know, richer. I don't know if it's yeah. like a flavor enhancer kind well, of. Well, Dolan makes a white vermouth as well, and you can get white Italian vermouth as well. Bianco, I speak very little Italian, <laughs> but um, the Dolan white vermouth is really delicious, and I infuse strawberries in it and make Ooh, an aperitif nice. with that. But Jim Meehan, who's a bar, I'm name dropping all over the place today. No, it's just because I've met all these bartender people and now I follow them on Instagram. He said somewhere like he likes to, he prefers to use blanc vermouth in his cocktails. He said that's actually closer to what the original recipes called for. Oh, which, that's, yeah, that doesn't surprise yeah. me. And if he's and, listening and I quoted you wrong, Jim, please correct me. <laughs> I, I think that mm. people get, um, so wrapped up in again, what you should, should be doing. Right that you forget to do what tastes best to you. And so I think that, you know, there's this real tendency to, no, no sweet cocktails, no sweet cocktails. I mean, even me, mm-hmm. I like my martinis. Th- those aren't sweet yeah, at all. I don't like sweet drinks either. Yeah, but, but I think that there's a place for, you can't just have all citrus and, and spirit. You know, there's, mm-hmm. you've got to have some balance. So And also so, sweet wine is really good when it's oh, icy right. cold. I yeah, yeah, I'm not against sweet wine either. Mm-hmm. I think it can make a great, like a muscadet, a good muscadet, really cold, can be a very fun aperitif. Um, yeah, I was at yeah. a Deterre uh, restaurant near me the other evening. And after dinner, the server came over who had made great wines choices for us that night. Very casual restaurant. And he said, you know, do you want anything with dessert? And I said, you know, what do you have for sweet wine? He brought over a couple of bottles that he had open. And one was a dark, like a red wine that was delicious. Yeah. And my friends had, they were, they were like, oh, you know, they're like no sweet wine people. And they were like, they were in a white wine and it was delicious too. And they're like, yeah. this is good. It's so nice. Yeah. And it's nice to go at the end of a meal because there's sweet, so many sweet wines can work well with some cheeses as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a good, it's a natural. So don't shy away from the sweet. I love that drink. It's really okay. nice, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, and this is great because like I said, you can and with also, the cap course. you can it's kind so of, good. I know I'm, okay. I'm super, I'm a real big fan of this right now. Um, I was just reading, I think it's in the, um, in last month's imbibe. Also, they've got some, Great little recipes in there for using this and, um, the magazine and vibe. I don't know. I'm sure you, I'm sure you yeah, know which one I'm talking about. The US version, not the UK version. And so they had a highball with this, which was a little bit of this, mm. a little bit of Calvados topped yeah, up with club, club soda. Because it's very um, refreshing. This is called a cap course made by Mate. Exactly. Then, Ellen Mate. And they also make mm. a really impressive gem. It's called, um, Eternal, Eternal. Okay. Um, the same company makes a really nice gin, which is really lovely mixed with this. It also highlights all of those botanicals that you find on the island. You know, they've got so much scrub mm-hmm. brush, like it's the equivalent of the Garrigue, but in course, I don't remember what they call it, but all mm-hmm. of their sort of scrub and flowers. And so, yeah, I think there's some really interesting, nice stuff coming out of Corsica, well, including this and that gin. It's called Cap Course, and yeah. they make a red and a white one. And the owner, Adrian, told me, I met him, I went to a tasting once, and I got to know him a little bit. They said, oh, we have a red capped and a white capped one. I said, oh, really? Okay. Uh, I didn't realize you had such a diverse range. And he said, yeah, the white capped one is a little, I think that's the nicer one. Uh-huh. I said, what's the difference? He goes, well, you know, it's a little different. I was like, can you elaborate on that? And he didn't. But I think, you know, you get what you to can. To be explored. To I be think, explored. Well, yeah, well, I think we need to go to Corsica. I think so. It was amazing there. I was just there a few you months went? ago. Yeah, it was great. You travel really all good. the time. I tried to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Try to, but yes, and, and the food and the drink there are great. They've got an interesting wine culture. That's all discussions for another time. But I am a big fan of this right now, and and I'm also a big fan of French gin because mm-hmm. just to circle back to you know the topic of the day, the um, French spirits. 
What's interesting to me about French Gen, many things, but you're getting this coming out of the other two areas we were talking about, Calvados and Cognac, mm-hmm. because these two areas, they one, have the distilling knowledge for, you know, historically, for a very, very long time, centuries. And then there's periods of time where they're not um, distilling the cognac. Uh, you know, I think that it's only five months when they're mm. distilling cognac. So what are they going to do with these alambic, with these um, stills, these stills, with these pot stills? They're the just sitting the there empty. Yeah, exactly. So so this is kind of a double use of the stills, both in Calvados and cognac. So that's why you're seeing these places come out with with gins. Mm. Um, and then also, I just I really appreciate because they do have that, you know, gins are popping up everywhere, not mm. just in France, you know, all over the U.S., everywhere. But we really do have that distilling knowledge. You know, I mean, I think that here they just got that, that experience, like you said earlier, that savoir faire. And I think if you're going to talk about a place that's expressing terroir through Gen, France, it's a great place to do it. You know, you've got these great things on the coast around Normandy that kind of have that saline quality. You've got things in Cognac, not Citadel, but, you know, other gins down there like G-Vine that actually use the grapes that are distilling it from, from the same grapes that they use to make the Cognac. You've got different gins in, Provence that are being made there that are using all of the herbs from the garrigue, which is kind of that wild shrub brush. That, shrub, right. that, that, okay. that, um, <laughs> it doesn't really work at the same time. I, I know. Yeah. But it's, it, yeah. it's basically really the natural like shrub and plants mm-hmm. and, and herbs that grow down there in Provence. So you really have places that are celebrating their terroir, mm-hmm. both their, their know-how and how things are growing like, and their ingredients for the botanicals. So I think that that's very kind of cool and exciting. I think that's something that is is often missed when people talk about a lot of French spirits. They don't necessarily associate them with terroir, which is the origin of place, how it's grown, the weather, and the ingredients. People think, oh, whiskey, it's very strong. Yeah. Or yeah. cognac, it's like, well, it's actually grape juice that's fermented, then aged in oak, you know, under a, a certain, for a certain amount of time. Same with Calvados, it's apple, you know, yeah. brandy and, it's an expression of the earth. Yeah, all these, exactly. they are expressions of the earth, I should say. They are. They're expressions of the earth. I also really appreciate. So, I mean, I think, you know, I'm interested in French whiskey because I'm interested in French products. And I mm-hmm. think that it's a, it's an interesting, um, thing that's happening in France, although it's relatively new. Whiskey distillation is maybe 20 years old, maybe mm-hmm. 30. I don't know. I'm getting older. So maybe it's 30 years old. They don't have the same historical distillation of whiskey that they do, but. France is a huge whiskey drinking country. Right, they're the number one in the world. Yeah, they, they may be the number one in the world, and it is often, I don't know this year, I haven't looked at stats, but it is often the most consumed spirit in France, which is weird because I rarely yeah. see people drinking it. So well, it must be like Scott. one guy yeah. somewhere in Normandy. Well, it's <laughs> like pizza. Like France is consistently like the number one country in the world in terms of pizza consumption, which sometimes it's number two or yeah, yeah, exactly. waivers, yeah. but it's very, it's high up there. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah. I, well, I, I go exactly. France. Go, yeah, go France. Yeah. Um, we need to have a whiskey and pizza party. I'm not against that. Okay. I, I think that sounds good. Well, we'll do that um, next time. But, all right. Um, thank you so much, Forrest Collins, for being here. My pleasure. Once again, if people want to find you, you're at 52martinis.com. That's, that's it. 52 with the numbers. Mm-hmm. You're also on Instagram at 52martinis. 52 and you have a podcast yourself, and I've I been do. a guest, and it's called Paris Cocktail Talk. Exactly. Yes. I'll have to get you on again. I'm saying that on this one, so oh. so now you're committed. Whiskey and pizza. Pe- <laughs> promise me whiskey and pizza. Okay. Not in that order. Okay. I'll be there. But you also have a cocktail app. Oh, well. I do. Where I do. It's called cocktail Paris bars. Cocktails. Exactly. And I've just updated it. I have two more things to add in there. But yeah, so I do have it. It's called Paris Cocktails, and it just helps you find bars and cocktail bars in Paris. Well, great. Thank yeah. you so much for being here, and thanks for making these 
incredible cocktails. I'll be putting the recipes on my newsletter at davidlebovitz.substack.com. Then people can find the recipes there and they can find you on your website and they can also find you on Instagram. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Thank I'm going to finish this martini. Always a pleasure. And call it a day. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to need a nap after finishing these yeah, drinks. Yeah, I will need a nap as well. Okay, right. well, thanks, Forrest. Thank you. Bye-bye.